Nūmai Haere Mai, my name is Jeremy and this is the Maxim Institute podcast. Are you still watching? Here's a playlist I created for you that you might like. In our everyday life, machines are talking back to us and we've gone way beyond helpful paperclips at this point. Whether it's Netflix recommendations or your phone suggesting how you might want to finish your sentence, AI or artificial intelligence is already deeply embedded in the way that we live and get things done. But what might these benign digital improvements be learning about us? And what will this data end up being used for? How smart and how powerful might machine intelligence get in the coming years? And what are the implications for the way that we live? And think of issues like privacy, security, and even what it means to be a human being. Maxim Institute Senior Fellow Paul Henderson has been studying machine intelligence for six years and has just submitted his DPhil thesis on human and artificial intelligence and moral reasoning. In our conversation, he'll outline some of the big developments that are happening in AI right now and how they might come to affect the way that we live in the next 10 to 15 years and beyond. You're about to listen to the first part of our conversation, which will be followed by additional podcast conversations on this subject in the coming months. Paul, thanks for joining us today. It's a delight. I have to say, much of much of our public consciousness around AI, certainly in my mind, seems to come from entertainment. You know, whether it be way back in 2001, where a super intelligent humanoid robot befriends and helps a young boy uh, in the Steven Spielberg movie AI, or more recently, where a super intelligent humanoid robot threatens to subjugate and destroy all of civilization in the <laughs> in the Marvel Avengers movies. Um, obviously, these are kind of you know these very different um, ends of the spectrum in terms of what we might expect from AI um, but obviously they're still captured in this idea of a humanoid looking robot that's played by a person. Could you give us maybe a less cinematic overview of what AI actually is and where we might recognize it around us today? Sure I, I think first of all I'd say that actually the films are quite helpful they do present scenarios which I think are realistic and and point to a possible future with AI. I watched a, a film recently where at the beginning of the movie a president is nearly assassinated by a swarm of drones. Now I can talk about that, that later in terms of AI technology in relation to warfare but that that is not particularly unrealistic. Uh, but I think to answer your question directly probably best to look at AI in three ways and that's the general way where you think about AI, the discussion is on artificial intelligence, and it's the way that the general public, and perhaps you and I use it in our ordinary conversations. And thinking about AI at that level, what I'd say is that it's both, both an object, but also a field of research. In other words, there is such a thing as AI. It's been developed and it's applied in many areas of life, from health to finance to education and so on. But it's not only an object, it's also a field of research. So you can look at the, the major institutions in America or New Zealand or Australia or Britain, and they invariably have their centres which focus particularly on or specifically on artificial intelligence. And so it's a field of research as well, and it's an incredibly complex field, but also a very exciting one. Within AI, as we think about it in this way, I suppose you could just say that an artificial intelligence is miming or re recreating human intellectual abilities, and usually in a specific area. And so you might think of something like a spell check. It goes out and it checks your, your document, and that's a, a very simple understanding of AI. 
So that's the first way I think that most people think about it. Uh, another example, just to give a little bit more clarity on that, might be something like film recommendations if you're watching Amazon Prime or Netflix. Uh, it will come back with a list of suggestions based on what, what the analysis has showed that you've been watching and what your interests are. I think a, a much more interesting area of AI and the one which is less perhaps talked about, but I think most people at the same time have probably heard the terms or phrases, uh, revolves around machine learning or machine intelligence. And this, perhaps a way to look at this is a sub-branch of AI. And it's a way of designing a system that reproduces human abilities with the emphasis in detecting patterns and data and then learning from those effects. So you might have something... Uh, like a drone. You could just have a mechanical drone with a basic intelligence that flies up and down. But once you put subroutines into it so that the drone can recognise what's in front of it and say, is this a piece of rice paper that I could fly through or is it a brick wall? If it is a brick wall, it introduces a, a series of subset actions to fly around the wall rather than crash into it. Now, what's happening here, which is particularly interesting, is that it's using its senses. And bear in mind that we have sight, sound, taste, smell, and so forth. And artificial intelligence can have a multiple array of sensors, ones which go far beyond our capabilities as human beings uh, with biological limitations. And it can use those sensors and collect data from them and then reason about the patterns that it's seeing in this data that I'm is in front of me. What exactly is it? Ah, oh, it's a piece of rice paper. So it, it, it then, in, a, in an advanced state, can say, well, what's the reaction to that piece of uh, rice paper, for example? So I don't know if that's been helpful, but that's a little bit about machine learning and machine intelligence. I suppose the key idea is that it can be attentive, it can observe, it can operate through its sensors, which are like our senses. And then having drawn in that data, it can begin to look for patterns in it and structure and make decisions around what that constitutes. And then a third component to that is acting in consequence of those patterns that it's, it's recognised. Uh, there is a fourth level beyond that, but I, I won't touch on that just now. Uh, perhaps another example, and we can build this out later if we talk about warfare. I don't know if you saw... But quite recently this year, there was a lot of chatter on the internet, particularly with military and intelligence folk. And they were looking at what had happened with Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia. There's been a, a war going on there or a small war. And the Armenians had a, a, a tank division with heavy armour and artillery in Nagorno-Karabakh. And Azerbaijan basically unleashed a drone strike on it and completely obliterated it. And these were drones which were hunter-killer drones. If you're interested in that sort of stuff, you can just jump on YouTube and look at killer bots and things like this, and there's quite a bit of footage around them. I think more disturbingly, and, and this really is profoundly disturbing, I suspect, and should raise alarms for many, many governments, is quite recently in, in Libya, and I think this was in the last two months, if I recall, I certainly read about it, uh, the, the Libyan government used on what it denoted as being rebels, a Turkish Karga 2 quadra, quadracopter drone. And 
assassinated a rebel leader. Now, what was really interesting about this is usually we think of the machine-human connect, where somebody's on a joystick somewhere else in some other country, perhaps even Australia, operating a drone for a particular task. But here the drones were working autonomously, independently. They were using the sensors uh, in them, and in advanced cases, these would look at the way that you walk and use other biometric configurations, not just, say, facial recognition, uh, sensors which could even detect smell, the smell, the unique smell pattern of a, a body. And these particular drones hunted out, or this particular drone hunted out this rebel and assassinated him. The key thing here was there was no human on a joystick at the end of it. It had just gone off, flown around, come down and killed the guy. It was given the information around who the government wanted to kill. Yes. And then based on that information, it found the person. Yes, exactly. And, and assassinated that person. Now, that's, that's a new level of warfare. Uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. And there you have an example where a machine or machine intelligence is working to a degree autonomously. You're right, the, the initial command came from a human, uh, but that, that may not necessarily be the case in the future. And if we talk, as I say, about a battlefield scenario, I'll explain why uh, humans may not be involved in that type of situation uh, in, in the near future. The third area I think that we should pick up on is artificial general intelligence. So I just talked about AI as a loose term almost and then machine learning, machine intelligence, but then artificial general intelligence. And that's sometimes called strong AI. And why this is, this is more of your Hollywood movies that you referred to earlier, but why it's an interesting potential development is that here you have uh, an artificial intelligence which isn't just capable of operating in one domain of human activity or experience, but can draw together a constellation of, of act, human activities so that it mimes or becomes much like a human being much more it's much more complex uh, and that I think there's a lot of discussion around it someone like Ray Kurzweil thinks it's 10 years away or 15 years away it's close there are others who would say it's 200 years away but I my own feeling is that it, it will such an intelligence will occur and it's just a question of uh, whether we can shape that. At the risk of sounding like a Luddite, um, why would we want that? <laughs> um, you know, why would we, as, as, as I sort of use the collective we, as if, you know, it's possible to use a collective we to discuss kind of the wants and needs of humanity. Um, but why would we be aiming for that kind of across-the-board integration of an intelligence that isn't based in a human being um, that could actually potentially start making its own decisions um, is it i guess is it foreseeable do you think that ai could move from programmed responses or from its original programming get to a point where it actually could have a, a will in a certain sense yeah i think that's a very difficult question to answer particularly because you've landed on the term will and so if you'll forgive me i might shelve that for a moment because i think yep. we should bring in two or three other considerations before we address it. Um, so I'll start, I think, with trying to answer your question around uh, why would we want to do this? And perhaps the way to approach this by using another phrase, which you may have heard, the IoT, or the Internet of Things, or, or sometimes the Internet of All Things. And, and what, what we see here 
is linkages between devices and between intelligences. So you can imagine a scenario, for example, where you're driving along in your car, perhaps it's a self-driving car, so you're enjoying reading something, and you can just say, look, I feel like a pizza tonight, and rather than going to collect it, I'd like to go to such and such a restaurant. And that would then be relayed from device to device to restaurant, and you'd be monitored as you were approaching, there would be time factors considered, the pizza would be stuck in the oven, and then it would be pulled out as you arrive. And it could also have referred back to your home and found what's your favourite wine or beer to drink with a pizza, and all that could be linked together. So there, there you know, in this, in this sort of scenario, depending on whether this terrifies you or delights you, you could argue that it will be a fantastically easy and free world, in inverted commas, where so much of what we do is done for us because of the linkages which AI affords. And that, that would be, in a way, uh, a form of service. I think that would be the way to see it. But it, it's, not, it's not just in, in uh, say, the food arena, although the, the food arena relates to what I'll say next, it's also in terms of the health arena. So, for example, I wear an Apple Watch, and that's, that's gathering a huge amount of data about my health. And that could be communicated to a hospital in an emergency, or my doctor, and so on and so forth. So it's this notion of linkage is, is, can be of tremendous benefit. It strikes me that, I mean, you've just given me uh, a couple of examples that are very easy to understand, and so I'd imagine that you are uh, majoring on the sort of consumer benefits. But yeah. the ones that you've mentioned um, basically provide incremental convenience um, yes. to us individually as individual consumers. Um, but I guess the, the level of information that we give over to, I would assume, companies um, or to a, a machine superintelligence, I guess, is, is it really worth the extra incremental convenience to create something that is so potentially astoundingly threatening? Uh, I, in a way, I can't answer that. That's a very, again, that's a hard question to answer, but I, I can give some thoughts around it which may be helpful. And it goes back mm. to a point that I made earlier, that I think artificial intelligence in its various forms and possibly a superintelligence is something which is both happening and going to happen. So I don't think we can slow it down. Now, one reason I say that, and it pertains to your comment on privacy, is that you're absolutely right. The development of a, uh, this type of intelligence requires data. You may mention a moment ago I said that an AI has many sensor inputs. It gathers data mm. and it needs data. And within that data, it, it discerns patterns and shapes. And could I just indicate that that's incredibly significant in something like financial analysis or stock markets and banking? Because if, if an AI is looking at a company, it might see patterns that we cannot. We're just not sophisticated mm. enough. And that raises another issue called a, a black box issue, which is a real anxiety for AI developers. We actually can't see into the way that AIs are thinking. But, but trying to sort of come back to this point, AIs require data. And if you look at a country like uh, Switzerland or, say, the European, not a country, but a, a, a larger area of Europe or North America, Australia, New Zealand, these countries, we, we have very strong privacy laws. 
which restrict and becoming more restrictive around the data that can be made available. But in a country like China, they don't have the same privacy laws, and there are other countries too. And that's why I think some analysts say that China is far ahead of other countries in its development of AI, because it can just take so much data from its citizens around their interests, their health, their behaviours, and so forth. Now, the only thing I'd say about that is that my suspicion is that the technology in America is absolutely astonishing. It's just that America doesn't publish it to such a degree. And I, I may be wrong on both of those counts. But the general feeling is China is ahead of the game in AI, but I'm not utterly convinced by that. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose... It, sorry. Well, it strikes me that the... Uh, I guess the degree to which... Um, the degree to which this technology is being developed and the ethics that sit behind the people who are actually developing this technology will matter significantly in terms yes. of what we end up getting unleashed or delivered yes. to us. Uh, yes. What, what are, and I mean, we, I, we, as you mentioned before, Western nations that you, you talked about, like Australia, US, UK, New Zealand, and Canada, mm. and others, mm. have this sort of high sense of, of individual privacy, um, and, and a sense yes. that an individual, in some way, deserves to be deserves to be able to make decisions about how much they engage or don't engage. Just like there's a divergence in this understanding of privacy, um, is there also a divergence in the way that different countries and cultures view the potential of AI? I mean, as I said before, yes. Hollywood seems to have gone from stories like AI and Bicentennial Man, where, where robots with thoughts and feelings are kind of benign friends that help us um, in the early 2000s, and now it's kind of they've replaced Russians as the default baddies in superhero movies. Um, sure. that, that for, I think, many of us is the, is the common imagination around AI now. But what other imaginations and stories and thoughts about uh, machine superintelligence are there? I, just before I answer that question, I want to make one other comment around the privacy issue and the diversity of, of responses to that across nations, how they value or devalue privacy. It, it goes back to my earlier statement that I, I just think AI is, is going to happen in one form or another. And part of that is a competitive drive in that if a country like China surges ahead in certain areas of AI in the way that, for, for example, the technologies that we enjoy on an everyday basis, our phones, our, our laptops and so forth, then it seems to me other countries will end up falling in line. That becomes particularly urgent in terms of warfare and espionage and the stealing of data and so on and so forth. In, in relation to that, I should indicate that one thing to be aware of, you'll know the, the dark web, but data is a premium. So a lot of the great hacking uh, ransomware programs, which have got into hospitals or utilities and so forth, yes, they're about getting money for the criminals behind it, but they're actually also about stealing data that's then put onto the, the dark web and picked up. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's like gold or oil. It's just an extremely valuable commodity data which can be used for the further development of AI. Now, another point that you've just touched on is some countries seem to be more open to AI, and there may be both philosophical or theological reasons for that, or just pragmatic reasons. So you think of a country like Japan, where we know there's a changing demographic, there's an aging population, 
and loneliness is an issue as well as the the lack of number of people to be able to offer health care or care for the elderly so the japanese have been leading for many years in in robotic technology to combat loneliness and so on and so forth but the other interesting thing is that there are a number of countries where there is a sort of animistic history where objects that there's an understanding that an object can have a life of its own like a tree or a, a bush or something and there are some philosophers i'm thinking of people out of the liverhume uh, center here at cambridge university who would argue that already within society there's an openness to a type of intelligence or life which isn't totally human uh, and so the sense is that these societies will find it much more and much easier to introduce ro intelligent robotics mm. i think one other thing which may be of interest is that i've inter i've interacted with highly intelligent robots and it is fascinating the first time i was over in california and it was this wee thing with sort of cute eyes and i started to talk with it and it was astounded by its capacity to interact with me and roll its eyes and uh, sort of the dilation of the eyes and the, the features of the face and i thought it would be repulsive but what was astounding is after about 10 minutes i began to enjoy it and i was i was sort of quite frightened by the perhaps emotional and intellectual joy that it brought me to interact with this thing uh, which is I, i'm not sure if that's a good thing or, or very disturbing hmm. yeah well i mean i guess that's the thing is that as as consumers uh, we often will even if we know that something isn't necessarily that great for us if it's an enjoyable experience we may actually just sort of swallow our our knowledge of the long-term ills of something um, because of the short-term enjoyment yeah, and I guess in that experience with that robot, even then you still had a, a, a real sense that you were a human being that was interacting with a complete, you know, completely artificial robot. Um, but in this area as well, we're not just talking about this, you know, necessarily an AI or, or machine improvements that are either one or the other, because one area we haven't got into is the idea of human augmentation and how... Um, AI or machine learning or, or um, you know, biotech can augment humanity to give us some of those, um, I guess, non-human abilities uh, or, or even repair human illness or disability. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Two things just before I answer that. One of them is you touched on the will earlier. I, I think I do want to come back to that in the next next podcast but there's also issues around consciousness and sentience and so if you're talking to a, a robot there's a real question is this thing conscious is it sentient uh, does it have a will and so forth and we'll address those next time round, i hope or at least try to the question of human augmentation i think is a really good one because there you're seeing machine intelligence moving from an external source and directly linking in to the human creature or the human being. Now, this may sound a bit far-fetched, but some of the leading thinkers and leading businessmen, and businessmen here, you think of someone like Elon Musk, initially warned against this sort of development and particularly an independent AI, but now have their own companies, Neuralink, where they're looking at a neural lace, as one fiction writer described it, where there's a connectivity, think Matrix movies, between uh, 
something which is directly inputting data into the mind or to the brain, perhaps I should be more specific. Now, we may be slightly horrified by that, but there, there are two things to say about it. Firstly, we're quite used to some sort of implant already operating within us. And you think of going back for quite, quite a while, we've had pacemaker technology, which is affecting our heart rhythms. Uh, or you more recently, you've had the cochlear developments here where there's a plant in the, the ear, or perhaps not the ear, sorry, the, but it, it allows hearing uh, for someone who is deaf. It's a neural implant into that area of the brain. Now, the thing which is really interesting about the human augmentation, and again, someone like the military can be quite interest in, interested in this, is that you could see a situation where our senses are exponentially enhanced. Say so you think of, for example, the limitations of our eyesight compared to an eagle. Well, perhaps in days to come, you could have a situation where satellites were communicating or drones were communicating, and that data would be directly inputted into us into an, in, through a neural network. So we'd be able to see things in a quite extraordinary way. And that could be in terms of X-ray, we could see into buildings or LiDAR technologies, which allows us to measure distance. And, and that would be a amazing human augmentation if you're out playing golf or something. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yeah, so but I, the point I'm making is that I've just given a sight uh, example. It could be sound. The other really, really remarkable areas of human augmentation that sound futuristic and they may be scientific and they may be fictional are around recall and memory in that if we have a device which is recording everything we we see, then that would potentially give us the the ability to recall or total recall of events. So you can imagine walking down a street and you pick up all the billboards or everything that was in shop windows, every activity and things which would be passing. Now, one of the things which is really important to grasp is that our biological minds or our, our biological features are limited. We, we use energy when we think and we make uh, we, we memorize certain things and, and discard other things but but there are limitations so to speak in the amount that we can remember and uh, the situation or the scenario I'm painting here is that we would be able to so to speak replay a scene from last week last year of an area that we're in and perhaps make different assessments about what we see uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's endless sort of endless ideas that could spin out for this. You could re-enjoy scenes that you've seen uh, and so forth. <laughs> or you could um, win, an, win an argument with your spouse. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, what, what you're looking at is a sort of fictional superpowers here and, and potentially that's what human augmentation is doing. It's, it's augmenting us so that we have much greater capabilities. It's, it's already happening in the sense that I, I think I sent through yesterday to you just an article about a person who, who had not been able to speak, I think it was, for many years, and now he's able to do so just simply from a neural implant. Uh, and it's astounding. I don't think he'd spoken for 10 years, but now he's speaking. And you see things like people who uh, can, through their thought, control a cursor on a, you know, a screen, a laptop screen. So... There are other areas around re rehabilitation of quadriplegics. And then there are also very exciting developments, 
arguably around skeletal and physical uh, augmentation, strengthening the body. Uh, these, these are remarkable, and I, I think they're, they're coming. Mm. There's much more I could say about human augmentation. Yeah, and I, I guess um, it's that classic, you know, the, the, the scientist who never intended his excellent and amazing technological developments to be used for warfare and to hurt people um, and is stunned when the government sort yeah. of takes his sort of wonderful health improvements and, and uses them to, you know, create super soldiers or something. And I guess yeah. th th it's, a, it's just a tool, isn't it? And, and there's, there's always the risk mm. that people will actually realise the capabilities offered that are maybe other to what they were intended for. Yeah, I think two things to say here. One of them is just around, I haven't touched on it, but something like CRISPR technology, which is gene editing technology. And a lot of the health developments and sort of genetic engineering uh, require, once again, vast amount of data. But one, once got, then you, you look at the possibility of gene editing. And that's another form of human augmentation that I haven't mentioned. Uh, the the scarifying side of this is that you, you could say it's a, it's a form of eugenics and that we're really back to the 1930s and 40s where what we're trying to do is create a sort of superhuman being. And that now really takes on a new dimension. Uh, the difficulty is that, you know, one might throw one's arms up in horror and say, gosh, what are the implications for this socially? Uh, for rich and poor and so on and so forth, or what are the implications for this, that we're playing God with the human body. But coming back to my point, my suspicion is we can't stop it. We know already that China has experimented with CRISPR technologies, and certainly I suspect other countries are doing the same. Wow. <laughs> that really takes Gattaca um, out of the science fiction category, doesn't it? Yeah. I, actually, I think Gattaca's a very good mm. film. It's a really interesting film. We will get into, in our second podcast, we'll get into a, a further discussion of um, what you're seeing in, in terms of the future, um, both near and possibly long-term future, around how machine intelligence and AI may affect different areas of society and the way that we live, um, and, and yeah. I guess what, yeah. what the sort of government and global agency responses should be to these concerns. Um, but I guess to close off today... Yeah. Uh, as someone who's really gotten to the weeds of the subject over the last few years, what do you think that, that we, uh, the people who are listening to this or, or the general we of society, need to be properly considering as this prospect of machine intelligence and these alterations hurtle towards us? Yeah, I, th I think one of them is a brave, what I'd call a brave new world scenario. And that's a scenario where robots do all the acting and all the thinking for us. And so robots think, humans don't. And there's a question here around a loss of agency, uh, where the real issue is that we're surrendering control to something else. Uh, and the question, I suppose, around that is, do we want that? And if we do, to what degree do we want that? The second concern I have is around superintelligence. And superintelligence is something we need to think about very deeply because the scenario here is that you have a an intelligence that emerges which is like the internet of all things where it, it's able to instead of having 30 40 50 100 a thousand a million billion devices all with their own intelligence operating you have an intelligence that merges and becomes enormously powerful there are there are reasons why we should 
consider that as a, a serious threat and some would argue an opportunity. The area, a third area that is worth touching on, which I think is very pressing also, is the notion of political and democratic participation. And why do I say that? Because behind our life in a, in, a, in a country like New Zealand, when it comes to elections, we like to think that we make informed decisions and we look to sources to make those decisions and we feel the enjoyment of voting for one particular party or another or one particular MP. Now, AI would be able to facilitate or augment the amount of intelligence or information that we have on a given issue or a given candidate or a given party's position. And that could, that, that could be absolutely fantastic, but there are two potential negatives here. One of them is that you have an example like Cambridge Analytica, which did psychological profiles of people, and then played to those using AI so that you and I were manipulated, although not you and I because we weren't in the country, but you and I, for example, could be manipulated to vote in a certain mm. way because through our Facebook accounts or through other media we'd been reading, there'd been very focused attention given to that, uh, that political direction. So AI can be both, I suppose, a threat and a weakness in, in the way that we think about democratic participation. So what you're saying is, is read physical newspapers and books. Uh, <laughs> so that the algorithms can't get you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, th there's, yeah, there's a challenge even with that because, of course, there are many people who would say the biases are in the physical newspapers and yes. books. So it becomes a, it becomes a, a challenge. But I, I think there's the opportunity to become more informed and make better democratic decisions. But there's also the opportunity to be manipulated politically very powerfully by mm. AI. Yes. And I haven't touched, which we can do on the next episode if you wish, I haven't touched on the idea and there are questions around whether AI should be given some form of rights and one of those rights would be the rights to vote. And if an <laughs> AI was voting, presumably it would vote maximally and it raises huge questions if you begin to think about a superintelligence. Well, a, uh, a, <laughs> a suitably terrifying place to finish. But um, thank you, Paul, for your time today um, and look forward to speaking with you again uh, for the second part of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Maxim Institute podcast. This is the first part of a multi-podcast conversation with Paul on this subject. Make sure you subscribe to the Maxim Institute podcast on your app to get notified when future episodes are up. To check out more of Maxim Institute's research and commentary, head to maxim.org.nz where you can sign up to receive our monthly forum emails. From all of us here on the Maxim Institute team, Matewa, goodbye for now.